we're doing 10 times the volume with two super regional companies and that allows us to focus on exactly what they need. Oh, you need a an eight page PPA? Okay, we can do that. Something that's more customer friendly. It's gotta be something your mom can read, right? Yeah. Hello and welcome to the Solar Maverick podcast, where solar meets entrepreneurship and experience. I'm your host, Benoit Thangen, so let's get into it. Welcome to the Solar Maverick podcast. I'm your host, Benoit Thangen. I'm excited. We're here at Solar Power Northeast in Boston, Massachusetts. And my guest is Nate Giovanelli from IGS Solar. He's a thought leader and colleague and friend. I'm excited to have him on the podcast. I think he'll bring a lot of unique perspective to the solar industry. And, you know, IGS is basically a third-party energy supplier that owns projects all over the U.S. They own in approximately 18 states that they're either projects in construction, in service, and about translates to basically 145 megawatts. And Nate has been on the IGS team for five years in business development. Uh, Nate, can you tell us about your role at IGS and how you got there and really probably a better description of IGS as a company. And I'm excited to have you on the show and get your unique perspective. Thank you, Nate. Hey, man, I'm really excited to be here. It's been a long time. We've talked about it for a while now. And trying to get in the same places (laughs) in the same time with you can be very difficult and to travel in the world all the time. But yeah, it's it's an honor to And we try to fix it between IGS football game. Uh, or Ohio State football game when I was at the office in Columbus right. and Cleveland. So, but I'm excited. I know we've been trying to wait for four months, five months to do this. So, thank you. Yeah, thank again. you. It's an honor to be here. Yeah. Now, a little bit. I guess I can start with IGS sure. if you want to start there. And yeah, I can that get would into, be great. To my solar journey, but so IGS, as you said, is a energy supplier. We're, we're the one of the largest independent energy suppliers in the U.S. So we're family owned or owned by the the White family. We're in most of the deregulated markets for both gas and electric. And uh, a few years ago, we started to expand out from our core business of, of really gas supply at the time and, and now uh, electric as well. And we got into things like uh, compressed natural gas vehicles. We own uh, about a dozen stations throughout mostly the Midwest, in Ohio, West Virginia, Indiana. So we also got into different forms of distributed generation, which is why I'm here. Uh, I came over about five years ago to start a CHP business, Combined Heat and Power, and it seemed to fit really well with our core as a gas supplier. Uh, It's not green, but it's greener, right? Because you're not really wasting all that heat and producing power. It's on site. So there's a lot of advantages there, especially for facilities like a hospital that, you know, wants to have that resiliency. And what we found was after a relatively short while, it's a great idea. It's a great product, but it can be very complicated in terms of there's a lot of moving parts. It's still tied to commodity, right? So you, you can't, you can only hedge gas out for so long. Yeah. So I can't look at you and say, hey, you're going to have a 15-year contract and here's your price in year sure. 15. It can be very difficult. And what we found was in creating this business inside a larger business is that solar is something that people want 
They can understand. It's very eloquent, right? There's no moving Definitely. parts. You don't have to worry about all this heat recapture and vibration and noise and where am I going to put it? It's obviously scalable. This, the development, and we've talked about this before, the development of a CHP project, the complexities and the time that it takes where solar, it's obviously a lot easier than you don't have to worry about hedging natural gas and exactly so it's it's huge and i think it'd also be good to talk about really like how you guys own projects is really through a power purchase agreement more of the ownership model i know i'm kind of jumping around because i know you wanted to talk about your background but it's also good for the the listeners that we call mavericks to uh understand that when you guys own a project you're really offering them a power purchase agreement both residential and commercial customers for basically a reduced electricity rate and then obviously you know they're getting renewable energy specifically solar so well again i want to make a clarification they're getting renewable energy if they keep the energy credits right if, yes, if the wreck exists so they're supporting renewable they're support- energy that's, key. that's right i, I want to be I, I don't want people calling me <laughs> the day after this comes out because i can feel that that's what's yes, going to happen no. <laughs> uh, but yes the customer is supporting renewable energy clean renewable energy that you know we're effectively producing and since we're monetizing the wreck you know the, the whoever's keeping that renewable energy credit is claiming the quote greenness of it. But yeah, there's something again, it's very eloquent, right? And you can tell the customer, even though it's a long contract, which is one of the sticking points with a power purchase agreement, right? But even though it's a long contract to be able to tell the customer that they're hedging their power and that they're supporting the environment. And it's just, it's a very good story to tell, I think. And and it's one that, again, people can get behind. And and if whether you're the sustainability officer at the company or you're the CFO, right? Sure. Uh, It's something that, again, you can kind of get your head around to say, okay, so this is going to be, this is what I pay now. And and we don't know what's going to happen in the future. We can all speculate, right? We all think rates are going to go up and the infrastructure is aging. But you never really know, right? Technology is exponential. There could be something. Also, natural gas has kept prices relatively low for a long time. People have, which basically impacts the electricity price because most generation now is through natural gas in the U.S. So it's interesting to kind of see we've all thought that prices are going to go up. I think eventually it'll go up, but maybe not to the degree. I, I agree. So having that energy hedge, and even if you're not offsetting 100% of the person's power, we, we generally at the business level, we don't look to offset 100%. Sure. There are some smaller projects that we do. We have a pretty good handle on what they're going to use. Maybe it's a you know a charter school or something that's been around for years, and you're pretty confident that their load profile is not going to change a whole lot as compared to a big Fortune 100 company. Sure. And you don't know what they're going to be making or exactly what process improvements they're going to put in, whether it's LED or other. So you might aim to offset said 80% or or maybe even less, depending on how much roof space they have, right? So in that case, it's a very nice energy play for, you know, the people in the back office or finance people, accountants to look at and say, this makes sense. Definitely. I mean, it's huge because for business owners, especially the business owners that you're working with, one of their biggest costs is energy, right? And you don't know how volatile it's going to be, but with your PPA, you're able to then basically know what that cost is going to be over a long period of time, which creates a lot of certainty. And, you know, as you mentioned, like usually like the CFO and accountants and people prefer stability in their costs, especially when it comes to energy, didn't like to deal with the volatility. 
Yeah, and it, it it's just a, makes it a very interesting component to be able to offer that fixed rate and know with certainty what that rate's going to be. Going to be, sure. And then, too, I know I changed the questions on you, but can you talk about, like, your background? Obviously, you started at IGS five years ago when they, they kind of started the solar group. Can you talk about how you made the transition to, you know, something totally different? And then the learning curve of solar compared to what you, you did in the past? and It's a good question. You know, I, I always had um, a tendency to want to do something with the environment, and I never knew exactly what it was. So actually, I had some advice from my brother when I was going to college. I applied to several schools, and I was looking at more of an environmental engineering type route, sure. and I ended up going into chemical engineering. And the reason was I, I just thought it was a little bit more broad at the time. So it gave me, in my opinion, just a few more options. I went into that and you know, I went to the University of Delaware. I did some awesome research there uh, that was totally different than anything I do now. We're splicing <laughs> DNA cells apart to make specific proteins. Wow, so cytosine, guanine, thiamine. Uh, and <laughs> all kinds of stuff. Yes. And then we oh, put them in cool. a, into an E. coli cell, basically, sure. and then try and grow mass quantities of proteins to block receptors as a lot yes. of applications in, in military and cancer and, and other things. And, you know, it, it was very satisfying work, but it was a lot like Groundhog Day, right? Yes. It's like the definition of insanity. You wake up every day doing <laughs> the same, same thing. thing yeah. And it's like, I'm expecting a different result. I'm going to tweak this one little thing this much. And and that's the nature of the beast in research. And I knew that wasn't for me sitting in a lab all day. And I knew I, I didn't want to go work for big oil. No offense to my brother who works at Exxon. So I, that kind of left me in, you know, well, what I want to do. So I, I went into consulting. I worked for uh, SA AIC at the time, which is now Leidos, uh, which is one of the largest engineering companies in, in the country, and uh, did awesome things there, environmentally focused. So I consulted for everyone from NASA to Pfizer, so all kinds of applications, food processing. Utz was one of my favorite customers. Oh, yeah. Anyone who's <laughs> on the East Coast knows who that is. It's a, a large chip company. I think it's second to Frito-Lay, but they don't go out West. So I ha had lots of exposure to the environmental side, which sure. I, I really liked, but also a lot of infrastructure as well. Definitely. And um, got recruited at that point to uh, work for a large infrastructure company and went and did that and, and worked my way up and led a team of engineers through more than half the country and, and really liked that. And one day I got a call from um, a mentor of mine who had left being the basically the CEO of that company and went to another Ohio-based company, sure. which was IGS. And he said, hey, I, it's been a few years, but I'm working for this great company, best place to work in Ohio. Definitely. Natural gas, we're branching out. We want to do something with distributed generation. I think you'd be perfect for it. And uh, I talked to him for a few months about it and said, yeah, this is something I want to do. And I think I, I can do. And um, after talking to my wife, made the jump and here we are. Again, yeah, I think it goes to show that you really got to pivot in business though. I left Definitely. thinking I was going to do combined heat and power, which uh, use a lot of my uh, chemical background, I think, in, in some respects. But noticed about six months in like hey guys like we can do this but this other business over here has has a need sure and i think we can solve it and ultimately it kind of leapfrogs that intermediary right the, the bridge technology so to speak sure. to go yeah right to renewables, renewables yes yeah. definitely i mean that's pretty interesting you've been in igs it's great it was almost five years and i feel like we've known each other for 
most of the time that you've been there. And, and it's amazing to kind of see within five years that IGS has owned, as I said earlier in the podcast, or in construction and own approximately 145 megawatts, which is pretty crazy. Can you talk about, our show is about entrepreneurship, but I thought it was interesting. And I know you know about this question because I also posted on, on, on LinkedIn because I was excited about being an entrepreneur, really like helping develop a business from scratch. Because, you know, obviously there's IGS Energy, which you mentioned, but then you were part of, well, now it's called IGS Solar. But can you talk mm -hmm. about like being within, uh, you just gave a great example of how you're six months in, you said, hey, you know, CHP is not the way to go. Let's go into solar. You know, I think it's interesting as well that you guys also own residential projects, not just commercial industrial. I think that's relatively new, maybe the past two years. I could be wrong with the timing, but it would be great to get your story and learn because uh, it's a private company, yeah. but to have that sort of influence and to develop the business and to see like the results that you guys have, which you've been a major part of it, it's pretty um, impressive for me to see what you've been able to do in a very short time. So I'll let you talk about that. I know I've been going on and on about this question. So no, <laughs> no I appreciate it. That was uh, probably giving me a little bit too much credit there. But I've been blessed with this incredible opportunity where there's not many people that get to go start a new company, having the back office, balance sheet, call center of you know a multi-billion dollar privately held company. So to have that opportunity, I'm, I'm eternally grateful for. It's been a tremendous ride. I'm just glad that they put that trust in the team to kind of pivot us into this direction. Because I'll tell you, you know, looking back, yeah, it feels like five years as an attorney, doesn't it? I mean, it Especially it's, in solar. I know, in it's solar. It's a roller coaster and things change so quickly and you have to adapt and <laughs> it's such a cliche, but it's so true. It feels like it's been so long. And, and the reality is, you know, I remember trying to get our first project, our first PPA. Oh, man, this this is never going to happen. I'm, yeah. I'm still negotiating, <laughs> I think, contracts for projects I started three and a half years ago. Sure. You know, and that's the nature of the beast. But Especially commercial, industrial, or yeah, residential. For, you don't. more on the CNI side. Yes. But, you know, I think it's very similar to being an entrepreneur, but probably a little less risk. I think, again, that's, that's what I'm so blessed about. But still, you have to wake up with that grind mentality. Like, if this doesn't work, you know, if, if CHP doesn't work and we don't find something else to do, are, are we going to be here? Yeah, Definitely. I don't know. I mean, are, we have a, an obligation that comes with that to make sure that we're fulfilling our promise to our shareholders and giving them projects and allowing them to use their tax appetite. And um, the transition to solar was, I, I would say, is was easier on the CNI side than the residential side yeah. for us. Again, like any entrepreneur or entrepreneur, whatever you want to call it, you're going to stub your toe. You got to learn from your mistakes. And that's really the key to keep moving forward, right? And I think one of the things that we were able to do and, and continue to do is to find out what's the value add, right? Isn't sure. that another question you always got to ask? Like, what is the market missing? How can we fill that gap? And when we started, I guess there's two parallel stories and you can cut me off whenever. I know we only have so much time. But the first one, I would say, you know, on the CNI side, we're looking at it. And, and I would say our, our owner, Scott White, is very mission driven, philanthropic, purposeful profits kind of guy. So we're like, man, there's, in my opinion, underserved community 
in solar, and that's that's the nonprofits. Yeah, definitely. They're not investment grade. They're not credit publicly traded companies. Yet a lot of times, depending on size, they will pay closer to residential rates or much higher than the industrials, obviously. Sure. So there's really a need, right? They can't monetize the investment tax credit. And it's really hard to finance these projects. Definitely. And a lot of people don't want to do them because they're small. And I get that. I mean, as a company grows, you do sort of grow out of that. Sure. But we want to keep our core, you know, that our real bread and butter. And even for IGS Energy on the supply side has been that mid-commercial market. So we were taking projects and people, you know, you always get that. I'm sure you get a lot as an entrepreneur is, are you crazy? Why would you do that? Right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. You get those people I've all the time. I've experienced it many times. Sure. <laughs> You're doing how many church projects or how many charter sure. schools? And, and I think we were really good at figuring out, A, there's a need here. B, yeah. we can fill it and still make money at it um, and keep our team relatively lean and continue to grow and expand. And, and, you know, that started leading to bigger and bigger projects. And we still do nonprofits. We've done, I don't know, I've, I've turned on several for the Trenton Diocese sure. this year. We just signed three contracts with the Archdiocese of Newark literally last week for smaller projects. But at the same time, we've done multiple Fortune 100 companies and, and have repeat customers in that space as well. And, and we find that we can still do both. You know, the, the tricky part is, is finding the focus, I think. Definitely. Yeah. It's pretty interesting, too. As you mentioned, it's a pretty lean team for considering how many megawatts that you own. It's very lean. It's very lean, which is pretty – and it's interesting to me as well that you mentioned Scott White because uh, – I've you know had the opportunity actually to meet him at the tailgate. I just has a big tailgate, you know, for the Ohio State's game because they're based in Columbus, Ohio. Different groups basically run the tailgate. It was interesting because he was very down to earth and we had a great conversation. And I, I remember that he told someone to tell Benoit, thanks for coming out here. And you know, <laughs> it's kind of interesting. And I've been to your office a couple of times and it's a very family oriented culture, it which I've, I think that all starts from the person who started the company. And, and it seems like the white family, it's very family. And you could see it because he as a leader is that way. And then it kind of flows through the culture of the company. Yeah, which is it very, really very, 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 it translates even when I, you know, interact with everyone from IGS Solar. It seems like a very family oriented, very it transparent is. Uh, company right. and, yeah. and willing to look at different ideas and try different things, especially the solar group. But I mean, to be as successful as you guys have been, and then having the opportunity as an entrepreneur, right, to be able to obviously have to prove to be successful, but then for them to give you that opportunity, yeah. that, that's pretty awesome. It is awesome. And it's been, it's been a great ride. You know, in the beginning, you kind of try a little bit of everything. We did some community solar. I know that's a trend right now. And, and, some, and you think we'd be perfect for it. But at the end of the day, I think there's just something, in my opinion, that's a little bit more compelling about on-site distributed generation sure. and, and the future of, you know, everyone's talking about batteries and how do we incorporate batteries. And I think if it's on-site DG, it gives you a good opportunity to do that for the customer. Not that you couldn't do it out in a field somewhere. I mean, obviously you can, but I just think there's something a little bit more elegant about having that solution on-site. Yeah, definitely. And so that's an interesting point. Actually, Nate posted on LinkedIn about being on the interview. That was actually one of the questions people wanted to talk about storage. I think it's a lot easier with a sort of PPA with CNI coupling, you know, with solar and storage than 
right now it seems like a lot of states are trying to figure out how to incentivize all the different different revenue streams of a battery. And it's right now not totally clear in some places. And obviously, investors like long-term cash flow. So Massachusetts is kind of ideal in a certain sense because you basically have the smart program where it has a certain uh, value that they'll give for both solar plus storage. But can you talk a little bit about, I thought it was very interesting, our conversation before the podcast about you thinking having the scale of a lot of batteries and owning a lot of batteries and the opportunity with you know different revenue streams. And I think if you could go into that and some other, um, maybe talk more about storage and your perspective. I think I'll, personally, I mean, that solar plus storage is going to be a game changer where you take intermittent power and now you're able to store it and use it, you know, at different times and, and to support the grid as yeah. well as far as reliability and things like that. Yeah, we, t- we talk about this a lot. And I'm, uh, my disclaimer is I, I in no way claim to be a, a battery expert, but I have dabbled in it. I've been to California several times to talk to a lot of the integrators out there and, and talk to some of the international players as well, trying to figure it out. In the beginning, I would say, you know, I really haven't talked a lot about residential, but when we really pivoted into our, what I'll call our, our residential phase two, which now we own roughly 5,500 homes that, that we own and manage, which is somewhere around 45 megawatts. And we do four or 500 a month. But when we were just doing our pilot or very methodical, you know, that, that whole bullet then cannonball mentality, we looked at batteries and, and this was several years ago, I think before it was emerging, I feel, I wouldn't say it was the hot topic it is today where, you know, you go to SPI and there's just battery vendors (laughs) everywhere. Well, I think it's also because the price decrease as well, specifically lithium ion technology. So that's interesting that you guys have looked at it for a very long time. I I mean, my, I'm not going to claim this to be original thought, but the idea was at the time, you know, IGS was actually doing some cool stuff with um, uh, hot water heaters, grid interactive hot sure. water heaters. So oh, if you can aggregate thousands of hot water heaters and they don't turn off or on like people think, like you're going to get in the shower and it's going to be cold water. It doesn't yeah. work like that. It's just up or down a degree to regulate the grid, right? So if the grid needs power, you turn it up or down if you have to give power. And when you aggregate those, you can participate or you could at the time in this frequency regulation market in PJM. So the idea was with bat- tying in a battery, right, your, your hot water heater in that sense is acting as a thermal battery. So it seemed sure. like a natural fit. Well, th- this is great. What we're going to do is we can give battery to our residential customers for free. That would differentiate us. It solves that need I was talking about earlier. That you got to figure out what's the value add. So we're going to add a battery. And then what we're going to do is instead of it sitting idle, right, we're going to guarantee the customer a certain amount of power from the battery, you know, run a sump pump or refrigerator, whatever that turns out to be. It's certainly not going to run their whole home, but we're going to take all these batteries and we're going to aggregate them. And then we're going to participate in these ancillary markets. So yeah, to your point, what we we're talking about before the podcast, and again, this is just the thought, I'm sure people will disagree, but I feel like in the battery space, it really scales going to matter. Of course, there's going to be residential customers that will benefit or commercial customers from, uh, I think the obvious one is the time of use change out sure, in California. Definitely. Basically, you're going to shift the peak, you know, for people who, who don't know uh, what time of use is. I'll just say that your power is going to be more expensive later in the day, whereas it used to be the most expensive during the day when solar was on. So what you can the do duck is... Curve, yeah, the duck curve, <laughs> yeah. So you can um, store that power now and then use it 
to offset more expensive power later in the day. I think I think that's predominantly the best bet for customers, other than of course resiliency. So we're we're talking sure. about monetization of the battery. Definitely. But for the owner of these assets, you know, saying, okay, we can give and take power from this battery, but always keep a certain amount of power in it for the customer. They're not paying for it. And now we can aggregate these into demand response or name the ancillary market you want to play in. And also, I think, again, this has been mentioned on some other the interviews, but to really get widespread adoption of solar, because it is still very low. If you look at the number of homes or businesses that have solar throughout the country, you're going to need some sort of smart grid solution, right? Oh, definitely. It's and gonna be and yeah. it's going to be, obviously, at this point, it looks like it's going to be batteries. I think it's going to be a combination of things sure. that are all going to work together. But at the end of the day, you're, you're going to need that battery as solar penetration increases on your, your local utility or grid or you know whatever. Definitely. I, I think that's great comments about storage and battery. And I agree with you with everything that you said. Yeah, so. I think it gets tricky is how do you contract that? And that was one of the yeah, questions well, the, someone yeah. submitted. And and I, I would say on the residential side, I'm not sure we're quite there yet. At least yeah. at IGS, we're still figuring it out. And you had mentioned earlier on the commercial side that the most bankable way, and again, not to keep mentioning it, but I just listened to it in the sure. airport and I loved the, the last interview with Jim Spano. And he talked about and I think people miss this, what is bankable, right? Yeah. That's that's the first thing. When I look at a project, sure. the first thing I look for is, what will I not get leverage against? What yeah, will definitely. I not get debt against? Because that's where the buck stops generally. So I think the easiest way is to increase your PPA rate and just bundle the battery in with that, right? Sure, that's um, definitely the easiest way. From a finance perspective. From a financing perspective. But then from the customer perspective, you know, I don't know. And, and it also brings up some contractual issues, like if you default on the battery, are you defaulting on solar? Sure. And do you want those assets tied together? Is it better to have a separate, separate contract? Okay. So there's a lot of other considerations, and I'm not really sure what that's gonna look like sure. in the residential space. That's why I sort of like the idea of, you know, you're giving the battery to the customer. And, and since we did that pilot, we, we did a pilot in our basement with batteries for little residential batteries, to, uh, just as I described, because, you know, bullet then cannonball. We don't want to we're going to be the guinea pig first and then roll Definitely. it out to our customers. But in that time, just to get the battery up and running, which, you know, we learned a lot, especially like how to permit these things. It's not sure. as simple as you think. But just in that little bit of time the whole market changed. The frequency regulation is, the payment is significantly less than it was post polar vortex. Yeah. <clears throat> so uh, it's made it, in my view, not economical at the moment, but it also yeah. shows the volatility. volatility. So are you specifically talking about the PGM market and with uh, frequency regular or just in general answers? Sorry to get technical. No, no. I mean, that's where we were focused, but that's where most of our assets sure. were. So in, in residential- It's also the most liquid as well, hubs so that- you know, for yeah. everyone's looking at that. That's why I was asking because the reason why I was asking because a few years ago I was trying to actually hedge ancillary services, but then the market crashed. So that's where then everyone got scared because it's not bankable. It's volatile. Right. So I thought you were referring to to that specifically. But, I, I was yeah. referring to that specifically, okay. but if you think of it broadly, you know, as as far as the battery goes, what's nice about the battery is again I, going back to uh, the word I used earlier for solar. It's elegant. It's very right. elegant, right? If the market changes, I don't want to oversimplify sure. it, but you can do a software update and your entire fleet 
And just overnight, now you're participating in this other market or you're operating the battery in a whole new way. Which you can do in solar, which you spoke about before, which I think is huge. I mean, I think there's a huge opportunity. I think it'll be interesting as well to see how utilities incentivize these other revenue streams with with storage, standalone or combined solar plus storage. Obviously, New York and New Jersey, you know, California, PG&E has had some RFP processes. So it'll be interesting as well to see the utilities because the utilities as well love batteries because of issues about bringing electricity back online and online quickly and then to get around sure. utility upgrades as well as the transmission and distribution. There's, there's certainly a benefit there that they uh, can't oh, deny, yeah. right? Oh, no, definitely, and, which is great, you know, so hopefully I think there's a huge opportunity. So that, that's exciting. To kind of switch gears a little bit, um, what states have you guys owned projects for both residential and commercial what states maybe are attractive that you you might be looking into? I, I don't know how much you could really disclose about that. Sure. But. Yeah. No. No problem. I think let's shift to residential. Sure. Since we talked to I mean, commercial, we can you actually you know what would be great is like what made you guys go from basically owning CNI projects till two years ago to basically starting to own residential? What was like the so we launched a we'll call it a residential solar one try one not long after CNI and that was in Maryland and and that was one of the few states at the time you know the the SRACs were were pretty high but it was one of the few states that overlapped our commodity business so we have home energy consultants that go around and oh, sure. solicit business you know do you check your energy supply what's your rate see if we can get you a better deal we have by the way we've home protection all these other services so we wanted to add solar on. It seemed like a good fit. And we tried that. And I think one of the challenges we had with that model was really having all these long tail partners. And it made it difficult to track and to get systems turned on. Our cancellation rate went up. And I think that's a, a common problem. And, you know, the solution was we kind of shut it down and rebooted and uh, what I'd been talking about, and hey guys, I think I have a better way. You know, there's some great super regional companies out there. We work with, I think, the two that are left, but we work with these great companies that handle all that for us. And then we do what, what we do best, which is A, have the cash and um, balance sheet, but also all the asset management and uh, world-class customer service, billing. We bill uh-huh. a million and a half customers anyway. So, you know, what's another few thousand customers on the residential side? So when we rebooted, I'll say, and we started our, our, our next pilot, we did it. And it's again, being part of an entrepreneurs was getting the timing, right. You know, like, <laughs> I know we just stopped this, but I'd really like to do this, Definitely. you know, and getting people excited about jumping back yeah. in was not easy. And then getting the partner lined up to jump in with, with us, us when sure. we hadn't done anything yet. That's was, tough. was to, very to, tough. Yeah. And when, when you talk about partner, you're basically talking about a regional residential installer, right? Is yes. that who basically you guys are, are partnering with? And then basically when they reach out to customers, they're basically getting an IGS PPA. Is that? That's correct. Oh, yeah. Okay. So it's going and talk like, how do, how do you get them to give you a shot when they, they are the biggest solar companies in, uh, privately held sure. in the country? Well, a lot of it is we have the same mission and core values, but also just being easier to work with. And instead of having 10 long tails, we're doing 10 times the volume with 
with two super regional companies. And that allows us to focus on exactly what they need. Oh, you need a, an eight page PPA. Okay. We can do that. Something that's more customer friendly instead of a 36 page contract, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's like, a residential customer. Right, that, yeah. that, that a guy I used to work with, um, that I respect a lot says, uh, it's gotta be something your mom can read, right? Yes, like would, would my mom want to read this contract, <laughs> you know, I should, like the iTunes terms and conditions. It's like, yeah. Does anybody read that? You know. By the way, this might be the intro quote for the podcast. <laughs> you know, we have the intro music in the podcast. That's a great quotable. That's pretty interesting too. And I think it's interesting that you guys partnered with the regional players because their acquisition cost on residential is usually like one third of like what the national right. uh, residential installers are. So that's interesting as well because then you could be more competitive i feel as well with the the offers that you're offering to the residential customer sure yeah i mean it's all about customer acquisition costs any anyone in the residential space will tell you that and and how do you lower it and there, there's all these different dynamics and people have tried many different things and sure. and you know i still hear the I actually posted on LinkedIn not that long ago about door to door. Is that what you should do? Oh, is I read it, that. Is it like a, being, selling <laughs> vacuums. And the truth is, you know, again, another wise man once told me, no one wakes up thinking, I want to buy solar today, right? You yes. have to be sold it. It's an intimate sale. You're putting a 25-year-plus asset on somebody's house that they don't own, if it, at least if it's TPO, right? Sure. Or third-party owned. So, and, and that's what we're doing. So it, it to me, I don't think we've cracked the code yet. And I'm, again, I'm sure this will be uh, somewhat controversial, but in my opinion, from what I've seen, we haven't cracked the code on digital marketing for this Definitely. yet. Whether you know, you're trying to partner with a national retailer to sell it or anything like that, I still don't think people quite understand it. Although it, it can be quite simple, you yeah. know, net metering can be confusing. So I, I think the door-to-door -door approach and referrals is still the predominant way to acquire customers. Is it the cheapest way? I don't know. It depends on what you're going to spend on digital marketing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's interesting because I think eventually the customer is going to be comfortable with procuring solar energy, renewable energy online. It just seems like it's been taking a lot longer than we think. Even in the CNI space, one of the things is not having standardized contracts. Sure. I think that's that's a challenge. And when we first started, we we're like, well, what can we do as yeah. a small startup company, essentially, to, to standard? We're going to use the NREL Sapsi PPA, and we just found it is a good starting point, yeah. but it's still really long. There's, it's kind of a catch-all, right? Because it's meant to be standardized, but you know, solar is so specific. specific yeah, it, it could be a roof, a ground, a carport. All these have different nuances. It's a leased building, it's an owned building, and it, it sounds simple, but when you're again, when you're owning a long-term asset, it's not. So now you have all this extra language in there you don't need, and I think that was a challenge. So it's how do you come up with a a shorter, better contract? How do you simplify the process and switching back to resi you know i think that's really where we added value is integrating directly with those partners to what do you guys need to get to pto faster we're all incentivized we want to turn these on as fast as possible and you know that it can take a long time with interconnection and permitting and everything else so how can we help on the front end to make this seamless and i think that's what igs does really well you know our operations team is is second to none and and they really work well with our partners so that our partners know that if we sell igs they're not going to block us from from getting this to the roof you know yeah, they we're aligned and and even as specific as hey this is the handoff of the customer right from they see the same truck out there the installation crew has one name on it and then the ppa is owned by someone else and we 
put a lot of time and, and effort and thought into how do we transition that customer so it's very smooth for them. They understand who they're paying and, and how that works. And I think those differences really is, is what set IDS apart, which I skipped your question you asked, and we jumped ahead to the last one there. But back to your states, I think right now, you know, we started our, our test market shifted from Maryland to New Jersey when we changed models. So we've done a lot in New Jersey. It's obviously a great market. We just recently in November got into Pennsylvania, and that, that's been a fantastic market sure. too. Uh, you know, I live in Pennsylvania, so I've been excited for this. I've been watching it come. <laughs> People told me I was crazy back yeah. to that. You know, you're crazy. It's, you just live there, so you want it to work. But I, I do think, you know, um, there's some good things happening there. I think the renewable energy credits hopefully are, are going to come up. You know, Pennsylvania closed their borders, and the energy rates are are not super high, not, certainly not as high as New Jersey, and we're mostly in, in Eastern PA, but it's not as saturated. It's, it sounds funny to even say Definitely. saturated in New Jersey because yeah. <laughs> if it's still like, you know, a hundred thousand installs, it's not a lot compared to the amount of homes, but in Pennsylvania, it's, it's relatively new. So you still have like that new early adopter. Yeah. There's not a lot of people offering TPO products there, or, you know, a lease or a PPA. So I think it's a really good fit. And we found that I find that market to be very exciting. By the end of this month, we'll be in Florida with a lease. We're really excited about that. Sure. Sunshine State want to uh, solarize that. And there, you know, I think there's a lot bigger homes, continuity of roof space, Definitely. higher output per panel. Sure. All things that help. So we're, we're excited about that. But we're also in, in Maryland. We're in New York uh, and Massachusetts. So we're continuing to expand. We'll be in Illinois. We'll be in California probably by the end of this year. That's, that's our goal. And we'll, we'll keep working out in markets that make sense. And then, you know, on the CNI side, it's I feel like it's very opportunistic. Sure. Um, we're in, last I counted, I think our website said 17, so I'll have to fact check myself. I thought it was 18. Maybe I'm counting the District of Columbia or something, and Definitely. they're not. But again, I posted a map on LinkedIn for anyone to see our concentration. I, I, predominantly New Jersey. We have a lot of Georgia. We did a lot in the Georgia Power. Sure, the uh, first, the earlier yeah, solicitations, and, right, with Georgia yeah, Power. Right. We didn't do any in the last round. Um, so that that will people might scratch their head like, what's all this in, in Georgia? But California has really started to come on. Um, we have a guy that's kicking butt out there developing projects. So that's been coming online for us. And then obviously uh, Massachusetts, we have a lot of projects that we've done. We did some community solar there. So all, all throughout really the Northeast and then some some random states like Nebraska through opportunity. Sure. But uh, it's it's been really great. You know, it's... Um, you learn a lot. Certainly every project is, is not as cookie cutter as, as a lot of people think I'm sure. And, and it goes back to that same question. What is financeable, right? Yeah, definitely. What is bankable at the end of the day? These are all great, great points. I kind of mentioned on some of these points, but, um, Solar is a relationship business. How have you been able to build relationships in the industry? You mentioned on residential, how you guys have been able to differentiate yourself. How about like in the commercial industrial space? Even it's obviously working with a lot of developers. And as you know, there's so many financing sources out there. How does IGS differentiate itself from... That's a great question. I mean, most of my networking's through you. So it's that. <laughs> no. um, By the way, you got to check out Nate on LinkedIn. I mean, um, he's an influencer, and I actually really love uh, the posts that you put. You know, 
it's really insightful. And so definitely follow Nathan, Nathan Giovanelli from IGS. Uh, I appreciate that. He, yeah, he's one of the, he has the most views that I know in the solar industry. I, I got <laughs> I don't know about that. I got, I want to start doing articles, but I just feel like it gets too long winded. So I try and keep myself to the post. Like if I can't fit it in that box, box then, yeah. then I've moved on, but I'll, I'm sure I'll do some articles here soon. There's a few things I'm passionate about that I want to get out into the market, but to segue back to your question, I think sorry, I, was <laughs> I think we touched on a lot of it. We I mean, touched, yeah. the the biggest one though, I I would say is balance sheet financing, right? So definitely, that, that's, that's a huge. great point. Yeah, that's I mean, a great differentiator. It's not we're not a developer that goes out and finds a project. It's like oh, now we have to find money to build the project. So IGS Solar is the development company, so we develop it on balance sheet using the incredible company that Scott and the Whites have built over the last 30 years and leveraging their balance sheet. And then so we can get the project built and then put it into one of our funds and our funds are structured differently. But I think what what also makes us a little bit unique is that we're an owner in each of those funds, some of them 100%, some of them less. And I'm not sure every, everyone else is, you know, and, and things can change, you know, whether we're going to be a long-term owner. I, I, I tend to think we are, but sure. who knows what's going to happen 20 years from now. But I think that's some of the differentiation is there and, and just, you know, again, it, it goes back to always finding like, how do you add value, whether it's with a customer or a partner and just having a good solid network of contractors and EPCs. There's some that we use a lot. And, uh, I think that really helps streamline things, right? Sure. Cause it's always hard to, like I said, you're always going to have, unless you have a repeat customer, which, which are great, you're always going to have every project to negotiate then the contract with the builder. So you have all these contract sets and trying to get through all that to really streamline the process and keep the team lean, I think is very important. And in this case, we've, we've been again, lucky to find, uh, you know, and again, we've stubbed our toe and I gotta be honest, but we found a really good network of construction partners that build these projects and, and do a tremendous job. Definitely. Those are all great points. Um, my last question, which you've already kind of answered a lot of the, what are some major trends in solar that you're seeing that we might not have spoken about? I mean, we obviously talked about solar plus storage. We talked about bankability. I mean, there's a lot of different things that we've talked there's about. A lot. Yeah. I mean, corporate PPA, oh, contract yes, for differences. differences sure. I really like those. I think the ones that kind of buck everything we've been talking about are, I wouldn't say this is a trend, but I hope it's a future trend, is how do you do off credit? And by that, I mean not charter schools and things that aren't IG, because you can still shatter sure, rate those. investment grade, yeah. Right, but how do you do people that aren't investment grade? Or how do you do a seven-year PPA? Like, that's what kind of sure. excites me. I, I wouldn't say that's necessarily a trend. I think we named some of the other community solar, I feel like, is a trend. Definitely. Um, huge trend. You know, whether it, continues. I, I don't know. Personally, I like on-site DG. Uh, something I'm very passionate about is, again, LMI, which I know you discussed last week a little bit in terms of community solar, and, and we've talked about at length, is if you have this portfolio of thousands of residential rooftops, right? And most of those, whether it's customer owned, which doesn't wouldn't involve IGS, but even if it's not, right? If it's customer owned, they have to have be able to take advantage of the tax credit. So that's sure. a certain level of income that comes with that. And then if it's third party owned, then they have to have a certain, certain credit, credit score. Uh -huh. And I, I'm not convinced. Not that I'm an again, I'm not an expert in this space. So it's my disclaimer in the realm of credit scores. Yeah. I'm, I'm you are an expert in the solar space. You're a thought leader. So I, I would like to think so, but I'm not sure that's true either. Um, <laughs> but I, what, what I'm getting at is I, 
you know, I think people generally pay their electric bill. I think it's one of the first bills they pay yeah. before their mortgage. And if you're giving them a, a true discount, a value prop, then their alternative is to go to the grid and pay more and get shut off if they don't pay Definitely. that. So we'll see. But I do think there's this opportunity to, because of that, and because of the scale to serve these other customers who can't take advantage of the ITC or are lower income. And, you know, it's not, I don't want to imply that it's directly correlated to credit score, but they, they may not have the same opportunities to have a third party owned system or, uh, or you live in an apartment building or your house may be not suitable for solar due to shading or some sure. other issue. I think that's where community solar fits the gap. But I, sure. I do think there's this incredible LMI space that's totally untapped for residential solar. And I'd like to see funds start to take a certain percentage in just like you would, again, you talked about New Jersey last week in community solar. And hey, if you do a certain percentage of LMI, that might not be considered bankable, but it's offset by the other percentage that is with a traditional customer. And I ask, why can't you do that in a regular fund if it's on site? Sure. This is interesting. I know I told you before that we're developing a project with NYCHA, which is the New York Housing Authority, developing projects on their property. And then it's in Manhattan and Brooklyn, but then also part of the requirement is actually to have an LMI offtake to it. So we've been kind of working with the different financiers to get them comfortable with bankability, sure. which you talked about. So, you know, we're trying to come up with innovative solutions on like credit backstops, working mm. with the New York Green Bank yep. as well to get financiers comfortable because we notice it has to be bankable. And that's yeah. the first thing that, you know, investors will ask us and how to get comfortable. And I could go on and on. So I don't want to keep going <laughs> about like how to differentiate low income and sure, different areas yeah. and buckets. So, but yeah, no, the, I think that's a really huge trend. And I think you mentioned too, the community solar is not just big utility scale projects. As you mentioned, it's, you know, rooftops where you could not just offset the energy of the of the actual building, but also customers within that service territory, the utilities. Yeah. I, and those are the generally the customers that need it most, just like nonprofits kind of led us Definitely. into the C&I business. That's true. We kind of led the opposite way in residential. I think there can be, and, and there are people that do it. I don't want to imply there's not, but I, I think there could be a bigger push, especially again, when you're aggregating thousands of rooftops and I, I want to make it sound that simple where it's like we're just going to throw these in and yeah. <laughs> all the tax equity guys are going to be okay with it but I do think that it opens the door for conversation as you get more penetration of renewables and really it's just it's frankly it's the right thing to do oh it definitely is I, and I think obviously a lot of politicians you know like community solar as well because it gives access to solar that you know a lot of people haven't uh, had access to so it's yeah, pretty exciting this has been an amazing interview. Thank you, Nate. I know we've been trying to do this interview for a while. I'm excited to have you on the podcast. I think it was a lot of great, useful information. If uh, people wanted to, to reach out to you or, or learn more about you, what, what's the best way to get in contact with you? Uh, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, as, as you mentioned. So you can look me up on, on LinkedIn, Nathan Giovanelli. 
Also, I, I just finally Twitter. started Twitter. Yes. So uh, <laughs> I, I've been, my eight-year-old's been showing me how to do that. And I'm at Nate Jove on Twitter. Otherwise, you can reach out to me via email at nathan.jovanelli at igs.com. Yeah, and, and that will be in the notes of the podcast as well, because Jovanelli, for some people, might not be. <laughs> Easy name to spell. That's the challenge. That's the challenge, yeah. <laughs> but definitely you should check out Nate on LinkedIn. He has a lot of great ideas about what's going on in the industry and he, he brings a lot of great perspective so thank you nate for being on the solar maverick podcast thanks for having me it's been awesome yeah and we hope to have you in the near future as well anytime okay. <laughs> thanks nate thanks thank you so much for listening if this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes and Stitcher Radio and leave us a five-star review. That helps us build this community, and that's what we're all about right now, building this community as big as we can to deliver as much value as we can. Music